Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. So good to see you this morning. Hey, Pastor Josh had a good idea when he did announcements before to, to tell you if you came in a little late this morning, then next week we're doing baptisms. And you can sign up at the Welcome Center if you're interested in being baptized or you know someone that is. Uh, bring them next week. Just bring a towel and a change of clothes. And we're going to do them uh, during our altar time. We like to do them during part of service so we can all celebrate together. We have a baptismal right behind uh, the stage there, and we just open it up. And it's going to be an awesome time. Those are always fun and amazing and powerful services. So I want you to invite some people uh, next week. Hey, I want to continue our series on pursuit this week, and this is what we've been doing through 2018 thus far, and I'm just going to continue on this vein until I feel like uh, God has something new for us, something on the next thing that we're going to do. But this week, I want to talk to you um, about the subject of pursuing change, if you're taking notes. You can write that down, pursuing change. Have you ever been this person, maybe when you were a teenager, or maybe when you were a young adult and you didn't have a lot of finances, but you... You get your tire on your car starts leaking, and so what do you do? You don't get it replaced. You fill it up, and you just tell yourself, oh, it's just the weather. The weather's changing, and it's just air pressure and stuff, so it's fine. And then it leaks again like a couple weeks later, and you fill it up. You ever do that? And then it leaks. And so you're like, I can, I can live the rest of my life like this if I have to. There's a lot of life left in these tires. I'm just going to fill it up every two weeks for the rest of my life, and then one day, you're driving because you didn't confront the issue before. Now all of a sudden you have a crisis because you're broken down. You're at the mall or something and you go out and this tire is just flat, flat, like, and you don't have your air compressor with you. Anybody else ever been there? Uh, I've learned that many times we, we don't confront um, a change that needs to happen until a crisis makes it happen. Crisis has a way of making you change, doesn't it? Crisis, it inspires it. In a crisis, we've seen human beings lift cars, that's amazing. I mean, but only in a crisis. I couldn't go out right now and lift a car. Um, I can guarantee you that. But in a crisis, we see um, small men or women lift cars. Something inspires us when there's a crisis. Vaccines were made when there's terrible crisis of plagues and different diseases going on. Vaccines come out of that because crisis, it brings about change. It inspires something in us. Uh, the pilgrims that came to North America for a change from the religious, uh, they wanted religious freedom from what they had in, in, in Europe. And so they came here. Uh, 9-11 caused change. Has anybody been to the airport in the last 17 years? It's a little different than it was before, right? You, they get a little more up close and personal, if you know what I'm saying. You never had to take off your shoes uh, in the airport until 9-11. But some things, they inspire change. And that's okay. But my question for you this morning is, is your pursuit of God enough to inspire change in your life before there's a crisis? Because you don't have to wait till you're at the end of the end of your rope. You don't have to wait till there's a crisis in your life, till till something terrible is going on, till you're you're facing prison time, or or you're you're going through an, an emotional breakup, or you're going through um, you're addicted, or you're lonely, or you're depressed. You don't have to wait to these times to actually have change in your life. God, I believe, wants to allow us to change before a crisis. I think God speaks through crisis if we won't listen closely to his voice before the crisis. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about a story in the scripture about Elijah and Elisha. You see, Elijah was told uh, by God that this guy, Elisha, is going to take over your prophetic ministry. Elijah in the Old Testament is known as the greatest, you know, he's the greatest known prophet in the Old Testament, um, some would argue. He's, he's uh, known as the father of all the prophets, that's what he was known, at, known as at the time. And Elisha is, has been told 
um, by God. Elijah's been told by God that Elisha's going to take over his ministry. So I want to read some verses here from 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 19. If you want to follow along, it should be on the screen. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. That's a fun name. Sounds offensive, but don't worry, it's spelled P-H-A-T, so it's not offensive. Um, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Okay, before we even go on, I need you to know, this means Elisha had it going on. He had a lot of money. An, An oxen in that day was like an expensive John Deere tractor. So it tells us here that there was 12 pair of oxen, meaning he had 24 oxen. This guy had a lot of land on his hands. This guy was rich. He had it going on. We could call it Shaphat Farms that he worked for, and he had an inheritance in a family business coming to him. He had his life, I'm sure, all planned out. I'm going to take over dad's farm. I'm going to, I'm going to run all this someday. I have my whole future planned out before me, and then something interesting happens. Elijah, it says, went up to him and threw his cloak around him. This is weird, right? You imagine you're just plowing in the field, and, and a guy creeps up behind you and just throws his coat on you, Thanks. I wasn't cold, but but what really this is, is this is actually symbolism in a way. Now, let me try and speak uh, your language. Uh, in a way, he was going up to Elisha and handing him a lightsaber and saying, you're going to be my Jedi apprentice. Okay? Everybody understand that now? Josh, you got that. Josh got ministered to right there. I could tell. Um, but he, he had this symbolic gesture. And then in verse 20, it goes on to say, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Basically, he's walking away from his future and kissing his whole life as he knew it goodbye. And we think, this is awesome. Wow, what a calling. Praise God. But I need you to know this calling was both glamorous and treacherous. And and Elijah wants to make sure before we go on that Elisha knows what he's get, getting himself into because it means, yes, um, I'm the guy who called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel, but I'm also the guy who had to go um, and live by a brook, Bear grill style, and be fed by ravens. And this is not like Uber Eats or like Postmates. This is like he was fed by birds, literally. I don't think birds brought him Hot Pockets. I don't know what it was, but... It probably wasn't tasty, but we see this, we see the end of this change for Elisha and we neglect what it would take to get there. Some, have you ever looked at someone and said, man, I wish I had that calling or that anointing or I wish, I wish I was, you know, I could do what they do, but you never realize what they had to actually pay to get there. And so Elijah wants to be up front here. He wants Elisha to know what exactly he's embracing. Do you really know what you're getting yourself into before you do this? Um, and he, the thing is, Elisha accepted it right on the spot. The scripture says, go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? Meaning, count the cost before you follow me. Know exactly what you're asking for. Know what you're embracing here, which is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Before following me, count the cost. Know exactly what you're embracing here. Um, some think that we're getting like this genie in a bottle with God. That he, yeah, yeah, I'll accept Jesus, and then I just ask him for things, and he gives them to me. And we ask Jesus to uh, uh, use us, and then three months later, we leave church and say, they used me. I don't understand. But we, we think that sometimes that we're getting a raw deal, but really before we accept Jesus Christ, we need to count the cost and understand exactly what it means to serve him. And verse 21 goes on to say, so Elisha left him and went back. 
He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then they set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So as a response to Elijah saying, do you really know what you're getting yourself into? Elisha turns around, burns the yoke and all of his equipment, and then kills all the oxen and feeds people with them. This is powerful. He's basically saying, I'm turning away everything that my old life was, I'm, just, I'm getting away from, I'm destroying it. There's no plan B, and I'm moving on to where I'm going. Do you have a plan B? Do you have a plan that if things don't really go the way that I want with God, I, 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 I'm going to keep my options open so I can go back to my old life? Because I don't think that's what God calls us to do. That's what Jesus meant when he said, count the cost. And then um, he became Elijah's servant after this. And, and we're going to go to kind of act two of this story now. And I want you to see we're only given one detail of the next uh, period of Elisha's life, uh, walking and following Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, should be on the screen. It says, he poured water on the hands of Elijah. And if you're waiting for the next verse, that's it. That's all of it. That's all that we hear about the next 18 years of his life. For 18 years of his life, he was basically the hand sanitizer guy. Like, 18 years of Purex. Like, uh, Elijah would go to the meet and greet and pray for people and give words to people. And then Elisha would open up his fanny pack, pull out the Purex, spray it on his hand, put it back in the fanny pack. I'm done. 18 years of this. He could have been somebody. He had a farm. He had, he had all this going for him. Don't you think in those 18 years there was a lot of times he looked back and said, man, what have I done with my life? Like I could have done something. I had, some, I had something going on. I had a plan for my life. Um, but then we go on to Act chapter three of, the, Act, Act 3 of this story. And is this when Elijah's life here was ending and God told him, you're not going to be here much longer? And so Elisha's still following him. It's been 18 years, and they're walking, and they came to a river. And Elijah does this thing where he takes off his, his cloak, his garment, and he slaps the river with it, and the river splits in two, and they walk through. Okay? This is, you can't make this stuff up. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, it says that when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha, his answer is, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. I love this request. I hope your requests from God are bigger than anything that you've seen before. I hope that you're asking things of God that if, if God doesn't do it, then it's going to fail because of the huge, hugest of what you're asking God because we believe that God can do above and beyond all we can ask or even imagine. That's what the scripture tells us. We have an exceedingly abundantly God. The problem with small prayers is you may get exactly what you're asking for but not get what God intended for you to have. And I think sometimes we pray these small prayers and we don't believe God to do amazing things and so we settle and God wants to do amazing things. We have to have the boldness to ask. Then in verse, in verse 10, it goes on and it says, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. This sounds like mysterious, doesn't it? I bet Elisha thought like Elijah was going to try and duck him at some point, like hide in a bush or something. I'm thinking Elisha, he didn't blink after this moment, you know, until Elijah was taken. Like, I am on to you. You are not going to get away from me. But God had something crazy in store for, for Elijah. We read on in verse 11, and it says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. That's crazy, right? 
Like you can't make this this stuff up. Verse 12 and 13 says, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. I know, that sounds weird. What he's doing is, in the Old Testament, a lot of times to show agony or that he was going to miss his father, you would tear your clothing. And so he tears off his shirt Hulk style. And then in verse 13, it goes on to say, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Okay, I want you to imagine this. You're walking together with your spiritual father and all of a sudden these horses a fire in this chariot come down from heaven, swoop up in a whirlwind, and take Elijah and just take off into the air. This is Air Horse One. That's what this is. I'm just kidding. That's, that's so stupid. I'm sorry. Um, and so they go up into the air, and, they, and he doesn't know what to do next, and it says that he, he picks up Elijah's cloak. That's, the, that what, that's what represented his anointing, his mantle, and he picks it up, which is good because he just tore his in two, so now he has something to wear. But he puts, his, he puts on this mantle, and in verse 14, it says, he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Do you know what crisis is? Crisis is proof that if you needed to change, you could. It is. It's proof that if you needed to change, you're capable of it. But how do we change in the absence of crisis? How do we just decide that, you know what, I feel God speaking to me and there's some things I need to change in my life and I'm going to do it before it gets worse and before I have to go through a crisis. I'm going to listen to the voice of God. I think that we need to have an internal crisis with the help of the Holy Spirit. You ever had one of those? You ever had a crisis where um, nobody else is going through it, but you, you know what God is calling you to let go of, and there's, there's no huge crisis in your life, but in that moment, there's something inside of you. Um, I like what Tony Robbins, he's a motivational speaker, and he put it this way, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And that means there's an internal crisis. There's something in me that's saying, I got to change, but we don't like change, it hurts, right? Who, who hates change? Can I see a show of hands? I'm guaranteeing you a lot of us, the majority of us, if we're honest, um, we hate change. But sometimes we need an internal crisis to do it because it's not fun that says, you know what, change is easier than where I'm at right now. And to, to have this, I think it takes three things, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The first thing that you need when you're pursuing change is you need a drastic change. You need drastic action. That's why when Elisha called, or Elijah called Elisha, what did Elisha do? He turned around and he killed all of his oxen and burned the equipment. That's drastic. That's drastic. He committed to this change. He burned all of his John Deere tractors. There's no going back to the farm because dad's mad. I'll tell you that. Like, don't go back. Um, but I remember people in history that had this same thing. Cortez, I don't know if you remember the story of Cortez. He did some terrible things. But I love his resoluteness when he got here to the, the mainland here. What he did is they got here, and he turned around, and he burned all the ships. As if to say, either we're dying or we're accomplishing what we set out to do, but there is no retreat. He was resolute. And he said, you know what, this is going to take uh, drastic measures. I need to ask you this morning, are you drastic in the measures you're taking, or are you okay with change tomorrow or, the next, or next month? 
Because if we always put off change till tomorrow, I can promise you 2018 is going to look just like 2017, maybe worse. But if we say, God, I believe that I have to do something drastic and we, and we, and we embrace it, then we can change today. But do you want change today? Or do you put it off? It's, it's like someone who says, you know what, I feel like I need to quit smoking after this pack. As soon as I'm done with this pack, I'm done. <laughs> it's not very drastic. You know, it takes a resoluteness to change. Um, another thing is one of the strangest verses in scripture is Moses is standing and he's before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And God's going to use Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh says no. And so God brings these different plagues on Egypt to, to get Pharaoh's attention. And one time he brought frogs, which sound, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Frogs are cute, you know. Uh, they're cute when you go to the river and you see a frog, but if you wake up and they're under the sheets, it's, it's not cute. There was tons of these things. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, fine, whatever, whatever, just get rid of these frogs. And he says, okay. But then he, he poses this strange question to Pharaoh. He says, I'm going to give you a choice. When do you want me to ask God to get rid of these frogs? And Pharaoh says one of the weirdest things in the Bible. He says, tomorrow. What? Meaning one more night with frogs? Why in the world, if I'm, go, if I'm going through this and I, and I need change, why in the world would I put it off to tomorrow? There was no resoluteness in his statement. Drastic action is necessary at the beginning of a change. We need a spark to change. We need a, a touch from God, the Holy Spirit, to inspire some change in us. We need an encounter with God, a pursuit of that spark. And why? The reason I want to talk to you about this morning is because we have to overcome something called inertia. Does anybody remember what inertia is? I want to teach you a little science lesson this morning. Can we talk about Sir Isaac Newton for a moment? Is that okay? He came up with these things called the laws of motion. And I want to explain to you what inertia is so you understand what I'm saying. His first law of motion, it deals with inertia. And what it is is objects will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. Meaning an object, if it's moving one direction, will keep going in that direction unless a force comes to stop the direction of that object. Everybody following me? The point is, everything in the universe wants to keep doing what it's doing. In fact, the, the root of the word inertia actually comes from a Latin word that means lazy. That makes so much sense, doesn't it? We want to keep doing. Our default is to be lazy, is to stay exactly where we are. So for something to change, something has to change. You ever heard someone say that? If nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's so true. If we're moving in one direction, inertia says some force has to actually stop us from moving in that direction, or we'll just keep moving in that direction. And maybe some of you had these New Year's resolution on January 1st, things you were going to change, and I'm not against it. That's awesome. But maybe you realize there's more motion that you, than you thought, and it's not that easy to stop this. You see, with inertia, there's a difference depending on the mass of something. If I, if I try and move a balloon, it's easy. In fact, wind can even move a balloon because there's no mass to it. But if I try and move a brick, it takes more force to move a brick or to stop a brick from moving. If this morning I, I had a balloon and a brick and I asked for a volunteer and I was going to throw both at you, which one would you worry about taking more force to stop? Probably the brick that would hurt because of the inertia that would hit your body if I could hit you with a brick. I'm not going to do that. So, um, 
But you need to know this morning, our default is not to change. And some of you have been going in the same direction for so long, there's a lot of mass there. It's hard to actually change directions because of how long you've been going in that same direction. Right? I know there's some of us here that we've tried to turn around. We've tried to see God change our lives, but there's, there's just a weight to it where I feel like I can't stop it. It needs a drastic action. It needs a touch from God. It needs an encounter with God to inspire something. It needs help to stop all this mass and inertia from moving. And there's some things in our lives that the longer we've been stuck in them with the same issues, the more force we have to apply to change directions. That's why God warns us about sin, because we think sin is a joke, but really the more we live in sin, the more mass it gains and the harder it is to actually turn from it. And if you've ever been caught up in sin, you know that to be true. It's hard to stop. This is why it's so hard for you to change the direction of your life, because it's easy to, to start for, easier to start from a stop, but if you're heading in the wrong direction, it's hard because you use all of your strength to stop the inertia, and then you have to turn around and go the other way, but you feel like you have no strength left. Can I get a volunteer? I need like, all right, Bruce, go over, stand over here for me. I want you to just walk this way with force, and I'm going to try and stop you, but try and just walk through me as if I'm not stopping you. <laughs> and so you can see I'm much stronger than Bruce. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, but I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. No, <laughs> but, um, but you can see at, for, for me to actually try and stop someone, it's hard. I'm, I'm putting in work, and it also causes him to have to put in work because we're, we're forcibly pushing each other back. Go ahead and have a seat. If you ever watch football, you know that the offensive line at the end of a game is exhausted. Why? Because they're trying to stop the force and the inertia of the defensive line the whole game, trying to get back to their quarterback, and they're trying to use force to push back inertia, and it's exhausting. And we do that in our lives. That's why we, we, we need to understand pursuing God is so important. Drastic action that causes change is a must. Drastic action is important. That's why we do different things we do. Baptism is important. It's a drastic action. It's saying, I'm going to be drenched from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head and say, you know what? A public declaration that says, I'm trusting God and I'm living for him. And it's drastic. Fasting is a drastic action. Saying, I'm not going to eat until I hear from God. That's drastic. If you ask me, I love to eat. And it's that there's something about it. It's drastic to delete some numbers from your phone so that you can't go back, burn the ships of your old life and say, I'm doing something drastic. I'm not going back. It's drastic to break up with someone who's good to you, but not good for you. It's drastic, but sometimes we have to do the drastic things. It's a spark that starts us moving in a different direction. And after the, after the drastic, I can see a change, but without the drastic, I'm going to be the same in 2019 as I am right now in 2018. Something has to change. Something has to act in my life. An encounter with God is the drastic thing you need to spark a change in your life. The second thing you need for change is steady progression. Steady progression. We focus so much in church, and I love, especially here, our name is Encounter. I'm, I'm all about the encounter. I believe that you need an encounter with God to start something. But after that, we need some steady progression in the direction that God's calling us in. Because we have an encounter with God that will stop us, but if we don't, use, we don't put habits in our life to continue to be steady, then you know what will happen? We'll end up going back in the same direction we were before we had an encounter with God. 18 years of pouring water on the hands of Elijah, that's steady. 
That's dedication. 18 years of the same thing, steady. See, drastic action, in a way, it sets up and tips the first domino, but steady progression keeps the dominoes tipping over and over in the direction you want to go. This Greek philosopher, Epictetus, as he said, no, he said, no greater thing is created suddenly any more than a bunch of grapes or a fig. If you tell me that you desire a fig, I answer you that there must be time. Let it first blossom, then bear fruit, then ripen. We, we like instant, don't we? I mean, we're the microwave generation. I'm convinced uh, this generation could not survive in the AOL generation. Can I get an a- amen? You remember the struggle of AOL? You don't know the struggle, some of you millennials. You don't even know. Now you just get on your phone, you're on the internet. We had to sign in, okay? And you paid per hour on the internet. It was, and it took you about a minute to sign in of hearing, and then it would say, attempt failed, please try again. Oh, by the way, don't even try using your phone when you're on the internet, because you can't, because it's a busy signal. You'd call your friend and it'd be busy, like they're on the internet again. They're in chat rooms. Um, But you don't even, you don't even, you don't even know not only that, when you tried to actually go on a web page that had a picture, you better have five minutes for that to open because that picture will open one pixel at a time. But now we don't have to do that. We, we get things instantly, but can I tell you something? Some things are not instant with God. God does the instantaneous and the miraculous, and we love to share those testimonies, but most of the time, in my own experience, it takes a steady progression because we, we love a microwave, but we have a crockpot God who does things over time. And he likes to see a steady progression as we continue to pour into what he's doing in us. 18 years. It was 18 years of spending time with the father of the prophets that prepared Elisha for what came next. 18 years of spending time with the father. Can I tell you what he was doing? He was deepening his roots. So that what came next actually could only happen because he was so grounded and had deep roots in what had taken place previously. Grounded is is a key word around here this weekend. A lot of the issues that we've been having with Buzz and the static that we have la- had last weekend, we believe that some of it is caused because this building we found out, Ryan Finley came up here yesterday and looked at it with me, is not grounded. So don't worry, we're safe unless lightning strikes this building. Um, and Pastor Josh, can I see that thing you wrote? Can I read that? Um, we, we were, Pastor Josh was thinking about this and thinking about how, you know, this kind of ties into my message, so I want to share it with you. But there's something kind of prophetic, we believe, about what God's doing in our church right now because, uh, let me just read this to you and then I'll explain. And by the way, we're grounding the building on Saturday, so don't freak out, it's fine. Um, the building needs to be grounded And God began to show me that a spiritual grounding was happening and finding out that two posts had to be staked in the ground eight feet apart spoke of new beginnings because eight is the number of new beginnings. A building not grounded cannot handle an energy surge. It can't handle the current. It will fry everything inside. As soon as it is ground, as it is grounded, the building can handle and entertain surges and the current flows freely without fear of frying. Does that sound like something that ties in spiritually to our message this morning? 
You see, we all want an encounter with God. We want that lightning strike. We want the encounter, but can I ask you something? Are you grounded enough to handle what comes after it? Because what comes after it, if you don't spend the 18 years like Elisha did with the father preparing for the next step, guess what? Elisha couldn't have carried what God had for him to carry. It was the 18 years with the father that grounded him and gave him roots. And I want to ask you this morning, are you in a season of grounding? Because pursuit after God is digging your roots. Saying, God, I'll do what you want. I want to hear what you, what you want to say. I want to go where you tell me to go, just like Amanda led us in worship this morning. You see, but we have a, we have a generation, I believe, that wants to part the water but's never willing to pour the water. We have a generation that, that wants to see the miraculous and be used by God, but you're not willing to do the steady progression of day-to-day habits and spending time with the Father that will actually get us to the place where we can see the miraculous because you can't carry it, trust me. If it happens, it'll happen once and no life change would happen. But true encounters with God cause life change because there's deepened roots that happen after, a steady progression of what's happening. The instantly visible is many times not long-term sustainable. See, God sparks something instantly in our hearts. We have to consistently sow into that change. Meaning God has spoken to me that I, need to, that I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to spend more time with him. Then how do I become that a year from now? I consistently do what God calls me to do today. That means I sow into my relationship with my wife. I sow into my relationship with my kids. I'm intentionally spending time with the father every single day. And a year from now, guess what? Maybe 18 years from now, I'll be able to carry what God wants to give me. But we're begging God for a hand out of things that, trust me, it weighs too much for you to carry right now. Just spend time with the Father. Put in your time and say, God, if this is all it is, is spending time with you, then that's enough for me. And that's the kind of person God can trust to carry something. Darren Hardy, he put it this way about change. He said, he's an author, he said, it's time someone told you straight. You've been bamboozled for too long. There's no magic bullet, secret formula, or quick fix. You don't make 200000 a year spending two hours a day on the internet. You don't lose 20 pounds a week, rub 20 years off your face with a cream, fix your love life with a pill, or find lasting success with any other scheme that is too good to be true. It would be great if you could buy your success, self-esteem, good relationships, health, and well-being in a nicely clamshelled package at the local Walmart, but that's not how it works. It takes day in and day out, I keep sowing and I keep watering and I keep pursuing and I keep putting energy into what God has called me to put energy to, into my family, into my, into my relationship with him. Where God, where, do you, where are you calling me to take this in 2018? And every single day, I'm going to continue to make the right choices and spend time with the right people day in and day out. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep spending time with the Father. Even after the pursuit series ends, I'm going to keep pursuing you because I'm ready to pour the water, not just part the water, God. I'm ready to serve you. Over time, we'll be where we want to be. John Maxwell, he put it this way, improvement doesn't happen in a day, but it must be daily. You see, I don't believe today, in a lot of your lives, I don't believe today everything's going to change, but I believe because of today, everything can change. Meaning, I believe that God can, can inspire a drastic change in your life today, and because of that drastic change, he sparks through his Holy Spirit that everything can change in your life, but I don't think it's going to change in a day. I think it's going to take consistently sowing into what he's calling you to do. 
God spark something in us today that can overcome the inertia of where we've been heading and turn us around to go where you want us to go. If we have drastic change followed by steady progression, then lastly, the third thing is you can enjoy momentum. You can enjoy momentum. Can I get the worship team to head back up? You see, God gives us moments with him of drastic change to spark momentum. And you remember how momentum worked against us when Bruce was walking at me? That inertia is hard to stop because he has momentum and I'm standing still. It also, in the same way, it can, rever- it can work for us in the reverse. Meaning if I'm doing things and I'm heading in the right direction, I'm a force to be reckoned with and hard to stop. Because I've made choices and began to move in the right direction. Elijah, he had drastic change and then he had steady progression. And now we see in his ministry, he enjoyed momentum. We see that he enjoyed momentum in the reverse inertia because it works both ways. If I keep pursuing God every day, I can see momentum in the direction God has for me to go. But it takes a daily doing it. There's a point where I had a hard time turning around, but now I've turned around and I'm making decisions in the right direction and now the enemy has to worry about stopping me. I love the illustration I've used before about an above ground pool because if you grew up around an above ground pool and you were a kid, I know you did it and you and your friends would walk in a direction, you remember that? Until you got all the momentum going to where you could lift up your feet and just they would carry you, that momentum. And it's the same way in a relationship with God. It's hard to stop from zero and get moving. I get it. It's hard to be heading in one direction and turn around and go the other direction. We see that in in space travel as well. When a rocket takes off from the earth, it takes more fuel during takeoff than it does the entire rest of the flight. Because there's something about starting from stop, but once that rocket gets in motion, then it becomes an object in motion, it can carry itself through space in the same direction. And I think this morning, I believe God wants to do something for many of us. I believe he wants to begin movement in the right direction. I believe some of you, you've been stuck in the same place or moving in a straight line, doing the the same thing over and over, but I believe an object in motion stays in motion unless something changes its direction. And I believe God wants to change our direction this morning in our pursuits. And he wants to help us to change that thing that we felt like we had no control over anymore. The mass of it has become too big. I can't turn it around. I believe God wants to do things and change and turn those things around. But it's going to take getting things in the right place, getting habits in the right place. I have an illustration I want to show you, and I saw this on a very spiritual show. I'm sure many of you watch. It's not on TBN. It's, it's Ellen, um, <laughs> but I want to show you this because it, it's a demonstration of inertia, and, and uh, if I mess it up, don't laugh at me. Jess is hoping I mess it up. I practiced this week with it in my office, but if inertia is right, then things headed in a direction are going to stay in that direction. Some of you feel like you're at a magic show. Oh, I did this wrong. (laughs) Where's your confidence, Pastor Josh? So, if inertia is correct, and I hit this tray these oranges should fall into those glasses. How many of you think I can do this? But I think this is a picture of when we get our habits and our daily routine in line with what God wants for our lives, things have a way of falling 
things have a way thanks, of falling into place. Because we've set up our lives in a way that say, God, the motion of my everyday life is going to head in the direction that you've called me to head in. And every action that I have during the day, I'm going to continue to spend my time heading in a direction that you've called me to. And I promise you over time, it might feel heavy right now, but over time, if you continue to be steady, you're going to enjoy momentum in your life. And then I'm telling you this morning, will you stand up to your feet with me? The enemy is going to have his hands full because what you had a hard time stopping, now he's going to have to try and stop. But I'm telling you, if you get momentum and say, God, nothing is going to make me turn around to those things that used to hold me in that direction and the inertia that I had to stop before. Once you get free of that and you head towards God, I promise you, nothing that the enemy throws at you is going to be able to make you turn around. Father, I'm believing this morning, God, that momentum is going to begin to build in our lives, Jesus, as the things that we thought were unstoppable, that we couldn't stop on our own. I believe that a spark from your Holy Spirit this morning, an encounter with you, will be the drastic change that we need. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of your hearts this morning. And saying, this is a thing that I want you to change. I want to help you change in your life. And there's something that he wants you to lay down. And and, and in a moment, our prayer team is going to come up right now. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you up. And I want you to just pray. And they're they're going to pray with you and just say, God, we need a drastic change because this is too heavy. This is too, there's too much inertia for me to turn this around. I've been struggling with this for so many years that it's heavy. It's going to take a huge knock from the Holy Spirit to get this thing moving in the right direction. And I want to pray for those of you who you've had the encounter with God, but you feel like nothing changed. I'm going to tell you there's a grace that happens after you've had an encounter with God. There's a few, there's a moment when you go home today, this week, where after you've had that spark, you need to start applying it. You need to start sowing into that and you'll build momentum. But there's like a grace period. I feel like we encounter God where God's saying, I'll strengthen you to change. But if we decide to continue in our old habits and continue in our old mindsets, then nothing changes. And it's not God. God wants to do it, but he needs your steady progression. Father, I'm believing this morning that you want, you're going to knock down that first domino and we're going to walk it out and we're going to push back on everything that the enemy has been forcing us into, Jesus, and it feels hard to turn around, but with your help, God, I believe that there's strength rising as we wait on the Lord this morning. I believe there's strength rising as we lay our needs and our, our weaknesses on you. Jesus, would you help? I believe Jesus Christ still sets people free. I'm a walking testimony of it. I don't have any business being up here and being free, but I'll tell you what, I have momentum and nothing the enemy is going to do is going to get me to go back. In fact, I'm taking people with me. And there's some of you here this morning, you don't feel good enough to tell people about Jesus because you still feel like you're headed in the wrong direction. It's time to turn around and it's time to take some people with you that are go- that need Jesus. Father, right now, I pray that you would just move on hearts to come and have an encounter with you, Jesus, that you would spark something in hearts this morning. And when we walk out of here, we're saying, I'm not going back to the old me. God is helping me and I'm going to walk out in new habits and new mindsets, and I'm going to set up some things in my life to head in the direction God's calling me to have. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to come up right now. We're going to pray for you, and and don't miss this moment if God is speaking to you and there's something he wants to change. It doesn't mean anything. We're a church that is open and honest, and you know what it means? If you come to the altar, it means he's getting it together. She's getting it together. This is awesome. God's doing something in their life, because we've all been there, and I want to invite you right now. Come up. Come on. Let's worship for a couple minutes, church. I want to ask you this week to spend time starting new habits of getting grounded. 
And what that looks like it might be getting in the word. It might be actually setting a time every day in the morning or at night where you can just spend time praying, getting into the word, listening to the voice of God, and just, and just actually spending time grounding yourself because there's some of you here, but I believe you've been saying, God, when is it going to happen? When am I going to be used like I see? I, I read about it in the word, but I don't see it happening. And I believe God is saying that it's going to, that we have to spend time getting grounded as a church and, and individually because you don't want the right thing in the wrong season. You know, the thing that you've been praying for, if you get it in the wrong timing, then it's the wrong thing. We gotta wait and say, God, I trust you with everything. And like Elisha, I don't think he complained. I think he just enjoyed spending time with the Father and trusted God to fulfill everything he promised him. Can we just fall in love with spending time and pouring water on the hands of the Father and just be spending time with God and just say, God, I believe that you're the prize. We don't look for miracles. We, we look for the miracle worker. We seek you, Father. And this morning, God, I'm believing that as we leave here, Jesus, are you reminding us that everything that we desire in this life, we're in your timing, God, we trust you with the timing because your timing is perfect. And I'm believing that, that we're going to go out this week and we're going to say, God, even if it, for the rest of my life, all I get to do is just serve you and spend time with you. That's my prize. I don't need to be, I don't need a spotlight. I don't need a stage. I don't need any more influence. If this is where you want me, I'm going to serve you with everything I got right here. And then you know what? God is going to begin to give you more and more, but we have to trust him with the timing. Father, we just pray, God, that as we prepare to go, Lord Jesus, I believe that your heart, God, is here with us this morning, and your heart is going to begin to reveal itself to us for our lives. Jesus, I believe that as we spend time with you, we're going to get grounded. Pastor Josh, do you have something? You want to share? Okay. I believe that we're going to get grounded in your word. I believe we're going to get grounded in the things of you, Father, that as we fall in love with you, we'll realize that's the real prize, Jesus. And everything else, every care of this world that's been heading us in the wrong direction, Lord, we believe that as we lay it down, you're going to hand us something even greater in relationship with you. And we give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. We're going to continue worshiping and praying. But if you have to make your way out, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you. Hey, if you're visiting with us this morning, please fill out one of those connection cards in the seat in front of you and drop it off at our welcome center on your way out. We have a free gift for you. God bless you. Have a great week.